Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's time for Distractions with Chad and Nate. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Now, here's Chad and Nate. Well, a lot of folks out there, I'm sure, have the, the similar experience that I do when I go home to visit my parents um, and I go back and stay in my old room, which, you know, my mom has tried to turn into sort of a guest room or make it less about me. You know, I don't have my Ferrari posters on the wall anymore. <laughs> um, Jerry Rice posters are also gone. The lava lamp isn't in the corner. The blacklight posters aren't there anymore. Um, and then I got these boxes of stuff, you know, and I come home and she's like, could you go through the boxes of, of stuff? I had like ribbons from swimming races and trophies from soccer and all in jerseys and all that stuff. And actually she did a really cool thing. She sent away a lot of my old jerseys and stuff and they made a quilt out of it. I don't know if you've seen people do that, Yep, but it's pretty cool. I love that blanket. I got it here now. But the latest thing that my mom's like, you got to get these out of the house are my old baseball and football cards. Which I was a pretty avid baseball and football card collector for, I don't know, three or four years or so when I was in middle school. And that fell in like 90, 91, 92, 93, around there. And so my mom, just out of the blue, a package showed up at my door a couple days ago. It was a small small package, a little bit bigger than a, a shoe box. And it was full of football cards. And it was just random cards. It wasn't like my special cards that were in the special sleeves or anything. It was just cards in packs, right? And it was all football cards from the nine, like 91, 92. And I was just going through some of those. And, well, there was a lot of Denver Broncos in there. I'm going to read off some of those. Uh, this name you might have heard of, John Elway. John Elway. Nice. Heard of that uh-huh, yep. We got Steve Atwater. Ooh, we got Ed McCaffrey me. wearing his Stanford jersey, number 40. But that, is rookie, that must have been his rookie yeah, card. Yeah, it was a rookie then. card. Nice. Um, we got Wyman Henderson. Okay. Do you, do you know that name? I'm familiar. Uh-huh. Cornerback. We yep. got Mark Jackson. We got Mike Horan. Okay. Yep. Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, we got Kevin Clark. You know that Bronco? Nope. Um, kickoff return guy. <laughs> I found a Mark Schlereth card in there, but it was from him, him in his Redskin days, number, wearing number 69, just all beefed up. Yeah, no neck. No neck. This is Fleer, 1992, Mark Schlereth guard for the Washington Redskins, <laughs> wearing his Converse cleats. <laughs> I didn't even know Converse made cleats. With yes. Bo- Bill Romanowski in the background uh, playing for the Niners, but we got Steve Atwater and Dan Reeves. Uh, Dennis Smith, Clarence K. There we go. Big tight end. Uh, another Wyman Henderson in there. Michael Brooks. We got Carl Mecklenburg, Bobby Humphrey. But there's some some random guys, not Broncos. But I just want to throw these names at you, Chad, because this was these are your contemporaries, right? You were coming into the league in what year? Ninety three was my rookie year. Ninety three. So a lot of these guys you might know, and I'm just going to read them off, and you can tell me if you know them and if you know something about them. Sure, let's do it. All right, we got Fleer Ultra ninety one Toy Cook. Toy Cook, uh, Toy Cook, uh, defensive back, New Orleans Saints. Uh, Toy's a really cool dude. He's on the, uh, he, I think he was on the board for the retired the retired players. So I've chopped it up with Toy a number of times. Good dude. Owns a clothing company now. Pat Swilling. Ooh, Pat Swilling, New Orleans Saints, outside linebacker. Part of the, uh, one of the greatest linebacker groups of all time. Pat Swilling, Sam Mills, Ricky Jackson, those guys. Haywood Jeffries. Ooh, receiver. Uh, Houston Oilers, Tennessee Titans, I believe. Bern Brostek. Ooh, Bern Brostek. Uh, offensive lineman, right? Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, did he go to Iowa? Um, let's see here. Um, or, no, Washington. Okay. 
That, that's correct. You are correct. Trace, Trace Armstrong? Trace Armstrong. Trace was the former president of the Players' Union. Uh, defensive end, Miami Dolphins. Is he, is he a Dolphin in that card? He's on the Bears. Okay. Tim Harris. Tim Harris. Uh, 49er, Green Bay Packer, edge guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wilbur Marshall. Wilbur Marshall. Uh, Chicago Bears, all-side linebacker. Chris Dolman. Chris Dolman, uh, Hall of Famer, defensive end, yep. Pepper Johnson. Oh, Pep. I was just talking to somebody about Pep uh, last night. Pep coached uh, me in New England. Pep uh, followed Bill Belichick in Cleveland, New York Jets, New York Giants, and then as a coach. Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham, man, I think if he played now, this guy would be all world. Oh, he may be the the greatest quarterback of all time from an athletic skill set point. You think so? Uh, from a pure athlete, he could throw the ball almost further than anyone else. Uh, his ability to run the ball. Heck, he punted 90 yards one time. <laughs> He's talented. Kevin Fagan. Ooh, Kevin Fagan. Uh, defensive tackle, right? Uh, yep. Yep. Look 49ers. at me. Michael Kofer. Michael Kofer. Ooh. Uh, mm, I know the name, but I don't know the position or the team. Yep. R- Browns. Oh, I'm sorry. Michael Kofer. Uh, Lions linebacker. Okay. Uh, Kevin Mack. Ooh. Kevin Mack, uh, one of the most difficult dudes to tackle in Tecmo Bowl. All my old Tecmo pe- Bowl people understand that. But I tackled Kevin Mack, a uh, former Cleveland Brown running back. Uh, I think I had a headache for four days. <laughs> uh, your old teammate, Junior Seau. Oh, June Bug. Uh, yes, obviously one of the greatest to ever do it. Eric Thomas? Eric Thomas. Uh, safety? Uh, corner. Cor- corner. Okay. Bagels. Uh-huh. Eddie Anderson. Eddie Anderson, receiver, Cleveland Browns, right? Defensive back, Raider. Oh, I'm thinking of... Uh, uh, dead, uh, Maurice Hurst. Nope, don't know Maurice. Then we got Lawrence Taylor, we know him. Joe Montana, we know him. Rod Woodson, we know him. Jim Breach. Jim Breach, a kicker? Uh, yeah, Bengals place kicker. Look yeah. at me, man. I'm like 90% right now. Uh, Melvin Bratton. Melvin Bratton, uh, running back. Uh, I know I think he was a Miami Hurricane. What, what team is he with there? Broncos, actually. Okay. Yeah, and he, he did go to Miami. <laughs> Nick Lowry. Nick Lowry, kicker, uh, KC. You got it. John Raid. Don't know John. Yeah, linebacker, Falcons. Okay. Max Montoya. Max Montoya, uh, offensive lineman. Uh, Atlanta, right? Bengals. Bengals, okay. Wow. I'm, I'm Okay, I'm doing pretty good. Matt Darby. Nope, nope. Don't know that Matt. Um, Dean Biasucci. Ooh, uh, it's got to be a kicker, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, man, uh, I, I imagine I'm going to get more of those, um, boxes from my mom because there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And actually, these cars are worth something now. Now, a lot of the ones I was reading now are not. Right. But, um, did you ever collect baseball cards, football yep, cards? I've got a ton of, uh, 70s football cards, um, and, we this was you know before the digital era when you could put something in your hands, and I think there's a lot to be said for that experience. For you to get these cards as a kid and literally lay in bed and kind of go through them one by one and turn them over and look at the player's stats, look at the player's you know his height and his weight and all that. Uh, those are those you know that that's when you do your I don't know your imagination takes over as a kid. Maybe one day I could do that. You know, this will be so cool if I'm ever to be able to ever to do this. Um, I think we've lost some of the physicalness uh, in the digital world. Mm. Um, even with music, to be able to buy an album and pull that inner sleeve out that had the lyrics printed on it versus, you know, kids now just kind of 
download a stream. There's no physical holding of this piece of paper that has the art on it. Um, that's a, something that's lost now. Yeah, we used to go to the, these card shows mm-hmm. at these, like, you know, event centers or whatever, and every all these card dealers would have their table set up and all their cards out there, and you could haggle with them a little bit. And there was always, you know, a couple of my friends would go there and spend a little bit of money. But just just being around those cards, it was like, it was your heroes, right? Yeah. It was it was your heroes. And then it always, also the idea that it had value. Mm-hmm. Like I remember my brother gave me um, Eric Davis's rookie card, who was a baseball player for the Reds. And at the time it was worth like 60-something dollars. Mm-hmm. And I was just, that was like the most sacred piece of property that had ever <laughs> existed. I had Cal Ripken's rookie card. Whoa. That thing was worth some money. I bet it's worth some money now. Really? Yeah, I would think so. Um, the most expensive card in existence. Do you know what it is, Chad? Uh, Honus Wagner. Honus Wagner. Yes. I've watched enough uh, those pawn shows to, to know that one. Um, my next, well, this this guy who lived a couple doors down from me, he, he, he used to tell us that he had a stack of Mickey Mantle rookie cards as thick, this thick, an inch thick in the safety deposit box. Wow. We don't believe that was true. Because <laughs> that's like the second, you know, highest right. um, valued card. I think, I don't know what it is now. Back then it was like $56,000 or something like that. Yeah, the, I know that Holmes Wagner card changes hands every couple of years and it's like over a million bucks. Is there only one of them? Is that well, one? They think there's, there's, a, there's maybe one or two in existence. And they, you know, it's like a fine piece of art. It changes hands from, you know, multi-millionaire, billionaire owner every couple of years, somebody sells it off. Yeah, so I was going to say, what does make a baseball card or a football card valuable? Is it just the number that were printed, or is it something other than that? I think it's the the, the rarity factor, and then you know, the, the the nostalgia piece also plays a part in it, but I think those truly uh, expensive cards, $100,000 plus, it has to be just the, the, the numbers of cards that are available and, and are in mint condition. When I was in middle school, there was this kid named Joe Herrick, who lived with his grandparents and had an obsession with this twins pitcher named Steve Erickson, okay? Mm -hmm. He would give out $100 bills for anybody who brought him a Steve Erickson card that he liked. Wow. And he would just come to school with a a couple $100 bills, which is crazy in middle school. You see a $100 bill. Yeah. And like... We were like, is it counterfeit? Is that real? Is he stealing it from his grandparents? Where is he getting this $100 bill? But more importantly, where can I find a Steve Erickson card? <laughs> so I was go- searching far and wide trying to find right. a Steve Erickson card that Joe Herrick wanted to buy from, from me for 100 bucks, And I spent a good couple of months like, okay, how about this one? He's like, nah. I'm like, God. So I go back to a card show. Find, you know, it's like a $2 card. Right. He's, he was a crappy pitcher. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But this dude, Joe Herrick, loved this guy so much, he was giving out hundos for it. And uh, I don't know if they were counterfeit, like I said, but um, I never did get I never did get that payday. Wow. Uh, training Camp 2022, Ready to Ride t-shirts. Camp kicks off next week, a week from today, actually. That means it's time for one of our great fan traditions, giving away the free limited edition, Extra Soft. Of course, you got to fill this shirt, t-shirts. Our first giveaway is tomorrow at noon at Blake's Press on Tower Road in Aurora. Shirts will be available while supplies last. Limit one per person. Our camp shirts are in high demand every year, so get there early. Chad, Scott Erickson.
Scott Erickson. Not Steve. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, my bad. All right, find Thank you, Texter. our full list of T-shirt drops at DenverFan.com slash shirt. Uh, what is more likely in 2022, the Broncos contend for a Super Bowl or finish last in the AFC West? Uh, we'll hear from a a former NFL GM who's got a take on this. That's next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Fourth in the AFC West because they have a rookie head coach. And as Hembo has reminded us, 20% of the time a rookie head coach makes the playoffs. Coaching matters. Experience matters. Andy Reid, great coach. I think Josh McDaniels will be phenomenal his second time. Brandon Stanley will learn from his experiences with a great Justin Herbert. So while Nathaniel Hackett may very well turn out to be a decent head coach, we'll find out. But in, as you just said, in this sort of historically great division, Greeny, this is going to be a massive differentiator, and that's why they'll be fourth in the division. Uh, wow. Uh, I think the, the setup of that question um, makes it difficult. So that was Mike Tannenbaum on ESPN. Uh, the question he was posed was, will the Broncos contend for the Super Bowl or finish last uh, in the AFC West? Uh, which is more likely? Um, so I, I understand where Mike Tannenbaum is coming from as far as answering the question. I don't think the Broncos are going to be last in this division, but at the same time, nor do I think are they going to be a true Super Bowl contender this year. Well, what and, do, so sorry to pick, uh, jump on you, but what does it mean to be a, tr- a Super Bowl contender? Make the playoffs, right? Uh, I think there are teams that make the playoffs every year that we all recognize really don't have a great shot at winning it all. Like the Bengals? Uh... <laughs> I know the Bengals, the Bengals make it easy to point to the, the outlier in these like things. Like the Bucks two years ago when they were the sixth seed, like the Steelers no, the but, year we got dropped No, but out. The, the, the Bucks two years ago, they got hot late. They were doing that standard NFL thing of the team that's playing great late in the season. Uh, they had a rocky start because of the you know difficulty with Tom Brady and Bruce Arians getting on the same page. Um, but they got hot late. So I didn't see them, even though they were a sixth seed, as a team that had no shot at winning at all. So if, if the Broncos go 10-7 and seven, but catch fire late, get themselves into the playoffs, yeah. they, they could be a contender. They could be a contender. Okay. Yes, but t- I think Mike Tannenbaum's overall point uh, with his answer was uh, the coaching question marks that come with Nathaniel Hackett and the track record of you know only 20% of first year coaches making the playoffs um the it's an uphill climb and the statistics the facts are against Nathaniel Hackett here possible certainly yeah I, um i i echo his concerns there as far as the new coach like like what kind of coach is coach Hackett going to be right. like what kind of game day game manager is he going to be he's an offensive coach so he's going to have a hold on the t- on the clock on the timeouts, he's going to be paying attention to that stuff in ways that Vic Fangio, for example, as a defensive coach, maybe didn't. So I think he will be a better clock game manager. But um, he's also calling the plays at the same time. So mm-hmm. the same stuff we were talking about with Vic, like is he thinking about the big picture when he's when he's just thinking about calling his defense? Is Nathaniel Hackett thinking about the big picture when he's just calling his offense? And does he have the type of team around him? who can kind of pick up on all the areas he might be deficient or overlooking. There's so many things that you don't know you know don't know yet, right? You don't know you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it, or right. until you know you don't know it. Right. And <laughs> that's going to take probably a little bit of time to get the kinks out. So I think that fact would favor the idea that the Broncos might start 
a little or, or, or a little slow catch fire late in the season, end up being Super Bowl contenders. But I think on the other side of that coin, the AFC West and the idea that Tannenbaum said that Josh McDaniels is going to be a great coach, I think that's a lot of speculation there. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. What what makes you think Josh McDaniels is going to be good? What in his past, other than X's and O's guy, tells you he's going to be a good head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders? Uh, he admitted when hired to the Raiders that he uh, was not good at the human part of the job. Um, so now... He might have admitted it, but does that make him human now? Uh, you need to... See your flaws for what they are, and you need to come to terms with those flaws before you can fix them. And so to admit publicly in press conferences that that is where I failed. It wasn't the football part of it at Dove Valley. It wasn't the X's and O's. There was a void of leadership with uh, Pat Boland stepping back, and there was no one else to take some of these things. Josh McDaniels took on too much, and in the process of that, stopped being human and start, started demanding things of players in the locker room and front office people and all that, that they you know that he didn't have enough skins on the wall to ask of people. And that ruined the human part of the relationship with his time here with Denver Broncos. But Josh McDaniels is a talented football coach. Right. He's a talented play caller. He's a talented groomer of quarterbacks. Um, we'll have to see if the human part has happened, but I would like to think, and his time with the Broncos was a long time ago, that he has learned a lot about relationships since then. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, you can only learn as you get older, but how do you do you apply that? Like, I was on with Tyler last week a couple days, and he was talking about what it was like here when Josh took over. Yep. He was on that team. They started off 6-0. and Yep. 6-0. and They won six straight games. It fell apart. It fell apart. But he said even during that six-game winning streak, it felt like they were on a six-game losing streak. Mm-hmm. The tension, mm-hmm. it, was, it was palpable. You could cut it with a knife. Yep. Every mistake was amplified, bullhorned. You make a mistake on the field, you get cussed out. Yep. You get cussed out later that day by your coaches when you watch it on film. And then the next morning, he would start off every team meeting with a a bad football reel from the day before where he'd show all the bad plays from the previous day and then he'd cuss you out again. Yep, yep, yep. Do your job and quit making stuff up. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. He makes football miserable. And did you really learn how to make football fun again? When you've been, when you just went back to the same spot where it was, it's been miserable the whole time. Yes. You yourself have said, and, and you have a hard time even admitting any sort of like, you know, negative uh, stuff about that because you guys were so successful because it right. led to so many wins. Mm-hmm. But you even said it wasn't fun. It was not the most fun football environment. It was the best football environment from a winning football perspective I had ever been in. We're talking about New England. But it was not the most fun football environment. Not at all. Um, and I think the Detroit Lions players would say the same thing about uh, Matt Patricia. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of these Belichick disciples, when they first get their opportunity, go out there and try to be Bill Jr., and they don't have the skins on the wall. They don't have the ability to find the balance because Bill actually does make you laugh. Bill actually does have a sense of humor. Bill actually does bring some fun to it occasionally, um, you know, maybe less than other places. But there's a bit of a balance. And I think Josh McDaniels didn't strike that balance uh, here in Denver, clearly, as Tyler talked about. Uh, but I think he has learned his lesson. So a second-time head coach versus a first-time head coach, 
if both those guys are equally talented from a football scheme X's and O's perspective, I'm going to lean on the second head coach who figured out all that stuff on the first time and made all those mistakes the first time around and has checked all those off the list in his second opportunity. Nathaniel Hackett is going to have to learn all those in real live time with real live bullets, just like Josh McDaniels did here, whatever it was, 10, 12 years ago. But you know what Nathaniel Hackett has that Josh McDaniels doesn't? Compassion. Mm. Empathy. Mm-hmm. He can read the room. He can relate to people. He can pull you aside and have a human conversation with his football player to figure out why things are going wrong. And he can read the room when his bad football real thing isn't landing or making them play better. I think Nathaniel Hackett has a leg up on Josh McDaniels. And then you look at the Chargers, man. Brandon Staley, to me, is an overrated coach. He's just an overrated coach. He came from the Vic Fangio tree uh, preaching the physicality. They had the 31st-ranked defense in the league last year. They are not a good defensive team. He has one of the best young quarterbacks in the league, and he's wasting that dude by hanging him out to dry, having him go for it on 4th and 10 on his own 20. He lost them two games last year, and I don't see him changing because he blamed it on analytics. So if I look at those two teams, the Raiders, uh, uh, Joshy Boy, and Brandon Staley with the Chargers, I see the Broncos being able to develop an advantage there. Okay. I, I can see your take is, is looking at life through Bronco colored glasses. I, I can see that. Oh. But I would, I, would it be fair to say that you and I, this year, this will be our second year doing a radio show during football season. Yeah. Last year was our first time we kicked off the show in September. Would you be fair to say you would expect us to be better here in year two than we were in year one? Yeah. So does it, does Brandon Staley's head coaching ability be better in this year than it was last year with another year of experience in figuring out all the mistakes he made? If you are willing to admit the mistakes you make uh-huh. and adjust your approach. But I don't think he is. I think he's leaning a little too heavily on analytics, mm-hmm. and then he blames it on analytics. This is what we're going to do. This is our philosophy. This is who we are. He said that how many times last year after a game? Yes. This is I'm trying to sharpen these guys' swords so this is who they are. Well, you're make, putting them in bad positions, and you're losing the game for them because you think you're sharpening them for some future conquest, but you're really playing stupid football, coach. Ooh, okay, okay. Um, to your point, does Nathaniel Hackett walk in the door with a far better human skill set than Josh McDaniels? walked into the Broncos' door, whatever, how long ago that was. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Nathaniel Hackett seems to be a really cool dude, an interesting dude, wants to know about people, their stories, wants to know the human part of them, wants to connect with them because he knows you can't coach the players hard until you show them that you love them in a coach kind of way. So he knows those things, and Josh McDaniels clearly did not know that. I think he'll know it better here in, in round two. So I'm not saying that Mike Tannenbaum in that soundbite is absolutely correct, but I think the thinking behind that, a first-time head coach versus a now second-time head coach in Josh McDaniels, Brandon Staley getting another year of experience, and then uh, you know Andy Reid out there in KC. Yeah, it's a it's an uphill climb for Nathaniel Hackett to be to the experience level that those guys have here in year one. That's my takeaway from that. I agree with you there. There's going to be some kinks. He's got to figure this thing out. But he's been around the game a long time. His father was a coach. He grew up playing checkers with Joe Montana, man. Do you inherit DNA from your father as far as coaching ability? How does that work? Well, you're around the game. You get a feel for the game. You get a feel for players. You understand what makes them tick. You understand when to push and when to pull back. You have to have your 
finger on that pulse. You know, you have to have a feel for your team. I think that's what made Mike Shanahan such a good coach. He had such a good feel for his team. He knew when to work us hard, when to pull back, when to throw us a bone. That kind of stuff you can't teach. There, someone did a study, and the difference between the nepotism hires and the non-nepotism hires, the winning percentage is just like a tenth of a point off between the two. And who's higher? The the nepotism hires. Hi-oh! It's just a tenth of a point. Hey, man. It's a small. It's a game of inches. <laughs> it's a game, it's a game of, inches. of inches. Sorry. When we come back, uh, I want to talk about my former CU teammate, Charles E. Johnson, unfortunately passed away. Give a shout out to my guy, CJ. He's next. Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. couple days, uh, me and my CU and Steeler teammates have been uh, you know, hearing some news come out about uh, our former teammate Charles E. Johnson, not Charles S. Johnson, who occasionally is a uh, host on Here the Fan, but Charles E. Johnson, wide receiver from the University of Colorado, my teammate uh, at the uh, at CU and the Pittsburgh Steelers as well, uh, died at age 50. Um, CJ played, I think, for four different teams in the NFL, nine seasons in the NFL, won a Super Bowl with the Patriots in uh, 2001. Uh, his post-football life, he was a coach at Heritage High School in North Carolina. He was also the uh, associate assistant athletic director there as well. Uh, one of the most um, cheerful and optimistic people uh, I've ever been around. Anybody who ever spent time with CJ would say, uh, never had a bad day. CJ graduated uh, CU in three and a half years. One of the definitely more uh, academically gifted uh, players I was around uh, and had a really, really rough upbringing in Southern California, was homeless for a time, managed to overcome that, uh, become a tremendous student, a tremendous asset to our Colorado Buffaloes. Um, and then, again, uh, had a nine-year NFL career, unfortunately passed uh, at the age of 50. Man, another 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 former athlete, right? Gone really soon. It feels like this this offseason has been particularly tough with former football players, even current football players. I mean, Dwayne Haskins, mm-hmm. um, Jeff Gladney. Do you remember that? Name? Yep. Like it's 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 it just starts to pile up, and it's um you know it's hard it's hard with the former players, as you know, when you play. You see each other every day. You talk to each other every day. You're doing the same stuff. You eat together. You travel together. But then you get, then you, then the season ends. You get fired. You get cut. You quit. You retire. Whatever it might be. And then you go off on your own, man. And it's hard. Like the, the next thing you heard hear about one of your friends is, is is something like this happens. So heart goes out to his family, his friends. Um, that's pretty sad, man. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, again, uh, CJ was a. Tremendously bright, uh, fun dude to, to be around. He certainly will be missed. Um, you know, and I had a lot of opportunity to talk to, you know, some of my former teammates who are, you know, now coaches or now, you know, involved in the game. And the discussion always ends up, you know, what is it about? Is there something about, uh, this game? You know, obviously we don't have statistics for general society and, you know, how many of a group of, 
hundred people that you know, how many people pass away at early ages and all that. And you, is it is football to blame? Is there some kind of football linked thing here? Uh, the cause of death still hasn't been officially released in the case of Charles E. Johnson. So I don't want to guess and speculate. Um, but when you hear about somebody passing away at the age of 50, um, and if he were a professional wrestler, we would go, oh, you know, it's, it's the wrestling that did it. And when he, the fact that he was a professional football player, we always assume that it's somehow football related. Don't have the details on that, but there's certainly this year seems to be a larger uh, numbers than uh, I, I can remember in recent memory. And you, it, it certainly causes you, uh, particularly as a former player, to have a bit of pause with that. Is it difficult for you as a 15-year player? I mean, we talked about earlier, you played 32 years of tackle football. Yeah. Football's been very good to you. Mm -hmm. You're in a position you are in now in life because of football. You were at one point the highest paid linebacker in the NFL, Mm -hmm. Pro Bowls, accolades, people recognizing you wherever you go. Is it difficult for you to have that honest conversation about football and longevity? because of how good it was to you and how many beautiful memories you have around it. Well, you know, when we had uh, Chris Nowitzki on um, from the Concussion uh, Foundation Institute, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm slandering the name there. Um, yeah, we, we, we talked about that. And, you know, the fact that I get a chance to go and do autograph signings and I'm around all these other players. I'm with Franco Harris and this and that. So my my sample size and my, my vision of football and long-term effects is skewed because – I get a chance to hang with all these successful guys who had long careers and are now successful in their post-career life. And that, you know, kind of covers up and 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 re- removes some of the, uh, I guess, guys who are struggling and the guys who don't have that same kind of success from my, from my vision of what life is like as a former professional athlete. I, obviously, I know that there's a price to pay for this game. Um, and some mornings, I, I certainly feel it. Um, but at the same time, man, um, I can only see life through my eyes. And uh, I, I see folks who struggle. I see folks who do well. Um, would I want my son to play football? I guess is, the, is it always, the, is it always the, the, the boil it down question. Would you allow your son or grandson to play football? And the answer for me is still yes. Um, I think the, the benefits overweigh the negatives. And I, and I think there are ways uh, that we are – from a game perspective, safer equipment, safer rules, changing the way the game is played, we are trying to do things to ensure that some of the you know issues of the past don't become the constant issues of the future as well. Do you think there's a way to make football safe? No, football will inherently it's not supposed to be safe, right? Inherently, is an unsafe game. So, so, so then, is it a little bit of lip service talking about safer? football it's not supposed to be safe it ain't ever gonna be safe so isn't that creating a false idea of for example some kids are are cut out to play football mm-hmm. some are clearly not i remember kids on my high school team who shouldn't have been out there every day they were the tackling dummy right they were getting destroyed they shouldn't have been on a football field but does it encourage parents to put their kids on the field those kids who shouldn't be there when you tell them it's begin, it's getting safer every day. We got the heads up tackling program. We got concussion protocol. We got independent neurologists. We got all this stuff going on, man. We've fixed the game. It's a safe thing for your kids to play. Uh, safer is different than safe. And I think it, hopefully it, there's a difference in the words, and that is noted by those folks, you know, trying to make the decisions about whether little Timmy can play football. Uh, the new version of field turf is far better than the uh, old turf. The new version of helmets is far better than the old helmets. 
So while it may be incremental, and the game itself is a violent physical game, uh, I think it's definitely statistics would say it is a safer game than it ever was. The rules, the lack of contact and padded practice. We just talked about the training camp schedule. Uh, that is to make and ensure player safety. That's yeah. the NFL. Pop Warner, high school, do they have those sort of contact uh, restrictions? They have the same ramp-up periods where you can't start you know, hitting on day one. And there's, a, there's, a, there's ways you have to roll the kids into it. And you can only do so many padded periods uh, in the first couple of practices. So they're attempting to take those NFL rules and have them trickle down to the lower levels of football. But to your point, safer is not safe. And the game of football, I don't think, can ever truly be considered a safe game. But the physical, visceral, raw nature of football, I think, also presents a benefit. Um, boys need to wrestle and roughhouse in order to fully have uh, testosterone generating in their body. There's, there's an actual glandular physical benefit to roughhousing and playing physically um, in our growth and development. So if we don't allow these outlets, then where does that go and how does it affect society? I think it's not necessarily a good thing. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Got to let them fight. <laughs> when we come back, we got uh, Teddy Bridgewater uh, calling out NFL players to stop pretending to be gangster. That's next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. Our boy Teddy Bridgewater uh, took to social media to uh, call out uh, players, uh, his fellow players, to quit pretending to be hard and start acting like role models. Uh, issued a lengthy message to all the guys who act gangster, but are only really football tough. Tired of seeing football pl- uh, players portray this tough guy image or pre- pretend he's a gangster. You went to school attended those classes, and some even got their college degree. Now you might have 1.5% of professional football players that's on that, but the remaining 985 are only football tough. So don't wait until you inherit this legal money from the league to decide you want to be tough or portray a street image because it's the kids that's looking up to everyone. We everything we do. Plus, someone sitting in a cell or posted in the hood might have been just as hood as you would advise you to think otherwise. So Teddy Bridgewater calling out players. I'm not sure what the experience was that made him choose to get his Twitter fingers uh, going. But uh, Teddy looking to, uh, I guess, improve NFL players' uh, role modelness with kids. Interesting. You got to wonder what was the impetus for that. You know, um, who's he referring to? His teammates? Is it just a league-wide perception? Is it, you know, the way guys carry themselves? Are players role models? You remember that old Charlie's Charlie, Charles Barkley commercial? I am not a role model. Do you remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't believe that's true? Do you I, believe, believe, I believe you are. Absolutely. And you have a <sighs> obligation to, to people, to kids as a professional athlete. Yeah. And I don't think there's any what's way your around obli- it. What's your obligation to kids as a professional athlete? Uh... To provide a positive influence upon them. That's very vague. It's yes. What do you mean? What do I mean? 
Uh, it's going to be different for everybody. Um, be yourself. Be yourself. Stay out of trouble. Stay out of trouble. Do Work the right hard. things. Be a Work, good teammate. Be a good teammate. Isn't uh, that enough? That uh, take care of your your family. Take care of your spouse. Take care of your kids. Uh, don't get into legal trouble. Um, it's a pretty simple list. I think we all can agree that seems fairly simple. Um, but yeah, that's my, that. That would be your obligation to your team, to your organization. Should be to yourself. Should be to your family. You should never want to embarrass any of those uh, things I just listed off. Agreed. I, I think that look, every player comes from a different situation, a different family, um, a different environment, a different friend group. And so when you make it to the NFL, there are forces involved in your life that maybe aren't the best things for your career. You know what I mean? And and Teddy Bridgewater, who's, what, been in the NFL maybe 10 years now or something like that, mm-hmm. he's been able to streamline his approach. He's been able to ha- handle things in- incredibly professionally. Everywhere Teddy goes, people talk about how, how, how great of a teammate Teddy is how he's in, you know someone who brings people together. He's 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 got a lot of wisdom. He's very spiritual. He waits for guys after games to pray. He has things in perspective. A lot of guys do do not, and they are products of just a different environment. Um, a lot of times, a, a guy makes it to the NFL, and that gets him out of a bad situation. You just talked about Charles E. Johnson mm-hmm. having a tough upbringing, right, and making it to the NFL, and and turning his life around. Some guys make it to the NFL, and a lot of those unseemly parts of their life, they follow them there. A lot of people who want to leech off them or be a part of their story or want a free ride, come with them. And and it's hard for guys to, you know, without understanding really what Teddy was talking about, but just the, the, the different things that are tugging at you from different directions. I mean, I've been around teammates who were trying to to get away from that stuff. But they, but but their friends, their family, they followed him here. They came to Denver. You know, they all moved here to be a part of that experience with him. And so it was hard for them to escape some of those old temptations and some of those old ways and simply just focus on football. Because those people who know you best from when you were a kid, your family members, they they have an effect on you. You know what I mean? It's hard to say no to those people. Uh, when they kind of tug your heartstrings or give you a sob story or tell you what they're going through or, you know, just one more time or whatever it might be. So I agree with them. These players have to act more mature. You know, they went to college. Whether or not they got their degrees or paid attention in class, that's another story. But um, that's not their fault. That's the demands of D1 football, right? But, um, yeah, you know, it could. there are ways that the NFL and NFL teams could help players do that. By, by demanding more kind of professional accountability, a dress code, mm. for example, coming to work, right? Wow. Where something else, or like, like curriculum that didn't involve football. Mm-hmm. Teach these guys about the ways of life. Mm-hmm. Three days a week for forty-five minutes. After let's let's learn something else instead of X's and O's in football. I've had some great player program guys. Uh, those are typically former players who uh, are a part of the organization who. Uh, are trying to you know teach guys some life skills and kind of they serve as this bridge between the locker room and the coaches in the front office, uh, the, the player programs guys. And I had some good guys who made us you know pull out the Wall Street Journal. This is how you read a stock report. Uh, do some financial education, um, some you know some some life skills one on one. There's actually uh, player programs guys who take all the rookies every year and take them to the grocery store and take them make them shop. And how to find the you know, stuff in the store, just all these basic life skills. 
Uh, I'm getting a little bit more insight as I read more of this article about Teddy Bridgewater. Kids, don't be fooled. You can play ball, do the right thing, and they're still going to accept you. Look at me. I'm far from perfect, but I chose the ball route, but I can still go back to the hood and post up and it's all love. So there is a certain percentage of players who come from uh, the hood, quote unquote, um, and if they start acting uh, slightly different than what they did back in the neighborhood, oh, you've gone soft. You don't keep it real no more. You're no longer accepting us back home. Therefore, we're not accepting you in this community. And so they're, to use Teddy's words, they're trying to play a gangster to be accepted back home. Life has brought you to a different place as an NFL player, and you need to seize that opportunity. Um, and you need to you know, have some friends who are willing to accept that your success with within that, it's not going to change you inside who you are as a person, but there are going to be some changes with that. And I can't hang out and be gangster with y'all no more uh, because I'm in a different place in life. And maybe you guys should come along with me and kind of leave some of this stuff behind as well. Does that mean you're going to give them some of your money? Uh, in some cases, that is the expectation. Yes. Because that's what you have to like. That's what you're what you're asking right now is for guys to say goodbye to their best friends. Yeah, I'm not saying you don't have to say goodbye. But what you're saying is I can't be here with you guys anymore. I am not anymore. I I, I can't hang the same way we used to hang. No, and I agree with you there. But just the difficulty in turning your back on those who were with you this whole time, Mm -hmm. were part of this ride with you, you know, and then you made it. Like to me, I'm a product of everyone I've ever known. Like my family, my friends, my coaches. Like I made it to the NFL because of all of them. Because of their support, you know, because of the sacrifice my parents made, because of the belief that my coaches had in me, because the teammates that I had a bond with, you know, because of my college quarterback who w- looked at me and wanted to throw me the ball, like that type of thing. So how do you, on the tail end of that, when you finally make it and get paid, say, all right, guys, we're different now. I got to go. I think that it doesn't have to be that black and white or, or cut and dry, but I would ask it the opposite way. Hey, guys, do you want to take this away from me? Because if I keep hanging with you guys, you're going to take what I've got going away from me. Is that your goal, to rob me of this opportunity? Because if I continue to do what we used to do, that's exactly what's going to happen. So hopefully there's a way we can, you know, uh, for this conversation, meet in the middle. We can still be boys. But, yeah, I can't do that knucklehead stuff I used to do. This is why my dad wanted me to leave Southern California and come out here to Boulder and go to school to experience a different part of life. Because, yes, some of my friends were not going to be good for my future. And I still go back home and I see them and it's all love. And it's a but it was great that my dad had that thought because it would have been difficult if I was still in that same town to separate from them and still try to do the college football and college student thing. Yeah, you just hope you have friends who who accept that you have to make some sacrifices to be excellent, right? And who don't pull you back into the the things that are going to derail you, who do want you to succeed, want you to thrive, and don't want you to get caught up in the tomfoolery um, <laughs> that can pull guys back down into it. But yeah. uh, the temptation is there, and it's a it's a tough it's a tough road to walk. It is a tough road, and I think Teddy uh, speaks to it well. Uh, this is it for you and I. Kyle Reese will be back in tomorrow and Friday. Fun to be reignited, re- reunited, reunited with you today. Reignited as well, man. Well, there we go. We'll take that. Uh, only uh, after today, only six days until Broncos training camp, and then uh, James Marilat and Stokely. They're next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.